You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Effects of Esoteric Development. This is Lecture 6, entitled The Paradise Legend and the Holy Grail Legend, given on March 25, 1913. In the previous lectures, we considered the changes in the physical and etheric bodies of the human being insofar as they are experienced by one who is pursuing esoteric development. These changes are characterized by an increasing inner awareness of our physical and etheric bodies during such development. In relation to the physical body, I emphasized that the more we progress esoterically, the more the individual organs become autonomous or independent of one another. We gain an inner sense that the physical body is more alive, so to speak, whereas the etheric body, as I noted, feels not only more alive, but actually becomes more sensitive and permeated with a kind of consciousness. It begins to respond to the flow of external events with a subtle sensitivity. I also pointed out that during esoteric development we become more sensitive to the seasonal changes of spring, summer, winter and autumn. The flow of the seasons becomes very sharply defined and along with the sequence of temporal events, seem more detached from one another than in ordinary life. In other words, temporal events become separate and distinct. Therefore, we can say that in esoteric practice, we begin to experience the processes in the outer ether. This is the first step toward real liberation from the bodily nature. Through esoteric development, we become increasingly detached from our own bodies and begin to participate in the surrounding world. We begin to experience spring, summer, autumn and winter within ourselves, as it were. However, because we live more in what is external, we cease living in our own bodily nature. Now, as emphasized yesterday, this is all related to an increased sensitivity to our own corporeal nature. As we become more independent of our physical body, we gradually come to view it as a kind of embarrassment. We notice that everything related only to our own bodily nature becomes a reproach, as it were. Indeed, we have taken a great step forward in higher development when, thanks to the ideas and experiences described yesterday, we begin to be no longer completely in harmony with our own human personality. As we continue to experience this more and more, we achieve much in the advancement of higher spiritual experience. Today, in anticipation of what is coming, I will attempt to support and further the progress of our observations, which were previously directed more from the inner life toward the outer life. I will try to describe the state of the human being when the astral body and the capital I have already become independent of the physical and etheric bodies. 
I will speak of the intermediate states in subsequent lectures. To make this easier to understand, I will assume that during sleep we are able to experience the moment we become clairvoyant outside the body and can look back at our physical and etheric bodies. So far we have only taken a few steps toward this condition and have reached the point where we have relinquished our body and learned to experience the seasons of the year, for example, and the times of the day. We will now consider the situation that arises when, on the one hand, we have the physical and etheric bodies, and on the other hand, astral body and the eye are lifted out of the other members, as it happens during sleep. Let's suppose that we could look back at the physical and etheric bodies we have left behind. These bodies would appear in a wholly different light from that of ordinary life where we view the physical body with the eyes of everyday outer observation, or as viewed through ordinary physical science, and with some justification we consider it to be the crown of earthly creation. In this earthly creation we distinguish mineral, vegetable, animal and human kingdoms, and we see that all of the various advantageous qualities that are spread over the different animal species are united, so to speak, in this crown of creation, the human body. We shall see that to external physical observation there is a certain justification for this view. This lecture is not intended to encourage a belief that we could reach a definitive conclusion about the nature of the physical body through our first observations while looking back at the physical and etheric bodies as if suddenly becoming clairvoyant during sleep. The purpose of this lecture is simply to capture, as it were, a moment of clairvoyant retrospective vision. When we look back, such a moment may initially reveal the etheric body, which appears as a completely integrated nebulous structure with diverse currents, which will be described later in greater detail, and with a beautifully constructed form in continuous movement, never still never at rest in any part. And then we see, embedded in this etheric body, the physical body. Now recall what was said, that our thinking must be set aside. In this way we preserve an open mind toward what we see through clairvoyant vision, since it is a fundamental prerequisite of clairvoyant vision that we allow ourselves to be completely inspired by cosmic thoughts streaming into us. Thus we meditate on what we see there, and this particularly affects our feeling. It influences our feeling and our will. When we have really attained the detachment spoken of earlier, it seems as if we have lost our own mode of thinking. In this state, with the feeling that is peculiar to us, we look back at what is embedded in that ever-mobile, nebulous structure within the etheric body, that is, the physical body. At first, we get the general impression that what we perceive fills us with infinite sadness, a terrible sadness. But this spirit pervading the soul, this mood of sadness, is not related to any particular individual, but is a general feeling. Anyone who looks back from outside toward the physical body as it is embedded in the etheric body 
is thus overwhelmed with infinite sadness. All the impressions that I am describing now are clearly expressed initially in the realm of feelings, not in the area of thoughts. An infinite sadness, a profound melancholy overcomes us when we look up to the world of cosmic thoughts streaming into us. These thoughts, which are not our own, but are the creative thoughts weaving and working in the cosmos, illuminate the structure of our physical body and in this way tell us what we really see there. We are told that we are viewing the last decadent survival of a long-vanished splendor, and through what such thoughts tell us we get the impression that our physical body was once mighty and glorious, but that now it is withered and shriveled. Its former majestic splendor is now no more than a tiny, shrunken form, Embedded in our etheric body is a last memory, crystallized in the physical, of a vanished primordial splendor. Today we see the various physical organs that constitute the digestive, circulatory, and respiratory systems. We view them externally, observe them spiritually, and they appear in such a way that we say everything present in the physical body is a shriveled, desiccated survivor of living beings that once existed, beings who lived in a splendid environment and are now shriveled and withered. The life animating the lungs, heart, liver and other organs today is only the last decadent manifestation of a once powerful inner life. In this clairvoyant vision the organs gradually assume the form they once possessed, just as a long-forgotten thought, when we try to recall it, grows into what it once was. So also what we carry within us as the lungs, for example, and what appear at first as the last memory of a vanished majesty and splendor, grow and increase when seen clairvoyantly. We sense that this experience recalls a distant memory, like a present thought that recaptures the experience of its former state. In clairvoyant vision the lungs develop into an imagination, which the occultist in former times and even now recognizes as a symbol of the human form, or the, quote, imagination of the eagle, close quote. We have the feeling that these lungs were at one time a being, but they must not be identified with the eagle as we know it today. From another angle, The eagle today represents a decadent survivor of that formerly powerful being that in occultism is designated as the, in quotes, eagle. As if in a cosmic memory, the occultist is led to the imagination of the eagle as it once existed. And when we turn in retrospect to our heart, we sense that it also appears as a withered and shriveled remnant, as a memory of a former splendor. We then feel as though we had returned to primordial times, to a being of a remote past, when the occultist, which the occultist designates as the lion. Then the organs of the lower part of the body appear as a memory of what is called in occultism the bull, a primeval being that formerly lived in majestic surroundings, a being now desiccated and shriveled through evolution and manifests today as an aspect of the organs of the lower part of the body. 
I would now like to illustrate schematically with the help of a diagram what once existed and what we discover when we clairvoyantly observe our bodily organs from without. We draw the eagle, the lion and the bull one over the other as in this diagram. Thus we glimpse that once thus we glimpse, glimpse what once lived in the primeval past as three sublime living beings. Around these principal organs we can also see other organs as they existed in the far distant past. What we perceive clairvoyantly in this way can be compared to almost all the forms of the animal kingdom on earth. If we now return our attention to the physical body embedded in the etheric body, and if we observe what is referred to in physiology as the nervous system, we find that this nervous system appears also as a shriveled, dried-up remnant. However, the nervous system presently embedded in the physical body appears to the clairvoyant when looking back as a collection of wonderful plant-like beings embedded in the etheric body. These plant-like beings thread in various ways through the beings with animal names. In other words, we see a network of plant-like entities extending in all directions. The whole nervous system resolves into a collection of primitive plant-like beings so that we actually see something like a widespread plant growth wherein dwell the animal beings just mentioned, as I said. Just mentioned. As I said, I am speaking about what is seen through clairvoyant vision, pictured as arising in a state similar to sleep. That is, when, from without, we look at the physical body embedded in the etheric body. Thus, to a certain extent, cosmic thoughts give us this information and interpret what lies before us, so that when we see all this, we could say, All that I, as a human being, carry within myself is the withered, shriveled remnant of what is now disclosed clairvoyantly as a cosmic memory. It is important to speed our development so that we can come to exercise continual self-control and self-knowledge. At this stage, such self-knowledge enables one to feel and to reflect one's being outside the physical body. Let me read that again. At this stage, such self-knowledge enables one to feel and to reflect one's being outside the physical body. What appeared to me as my physical body, embedded in the etheric body, has been transformed in my clairvoyant vision into what we have just described. What I now behold no longer exists and must have existed in a remote past so that my physical body here, now, on earth, could be created. In order that this shriveled survivor could be created, what I now see before me with my clairvoyant vision must once have existed. Thus the physical body initially makes this sad impression because we recognize it as the last withered remnant of a former splendor now disclosed to clairvoyant vision. Once we have developed self-knowledge to such a degree, we become aware that in our astral body, which is now outside our physical and etheric bodies, we cannot do otherwise. Here I ask you not to misunderstand me. I am describing the facts. You will see how these facts explain themselves. They resound to the honor 
of the wise guides of the world. We must first come to recognize the facts, and what seems questionable will become clear in the following lectures. I said we cannot do otherwise. In the astral body we can only accept what we are absolutely egoistic, excuse me, we can only accept that we are absolutely egoistic, completely self-centered. And we come to realize that there are sufficient grounds for sadness, because we now feel the urge to know the reason for what has happened, why everything has degenerated. The question is, who is to blame for such degeneration? Who has made the form I see clairvoyantly before me, this wonderful plant being with the perfect animal-like structure within it? Who has changed it into what is presently a shriveled human body? As an inner inspiration, the words ring out, You have brought this upon yourself. You yourself are responsible. You have become what you are now because you had the power to permeate all this splendor with your own being, because your being trickled like poison into this ancient splendor, it is now reduced to a shriveled state. We are thus responsible, and we owe the possibility of being a self, such as we are today, to our having sowed the seeds of death in all this splendor, and we saturated it to such a degree that it shriveled, a giant tree growing in all its majesty and nourishing the diverse animals that are entirely dependent upon it, when attacked at a certain place, dries up, withers, and shrivels afterward, and with it die all the beings it had nourished. Likewise, the shriveled condition of the physical human body is revealed to our clairvoyant vision. The overpowering impression evoked by this moment of perception is such that we feel an increasing urge in the astral body to know how this came about. There appears to us, yet this moment, worming his way among the primordial animal beings perceived at the back of the paradise garden, so to speak, the wondrous form of Lucifer himself. Here for the first time we meet Lucifer through clairvoyant vision, and we now know this is how the forces were, shriveled today in the physical human body. When Lucifer appeared within the total cosmic being now available to our clairvoyant vision, now we know that the human being was present in that ancient past, the reality of which is now revealed to clairvoyant vision. We recognize that we had felt vitally alive, because we then belonged to this world. This was our kingdom. In this kingdom, Lucifer drew the human being to himself, and the human being united with Lucifer. As a consequence, the beings of the higher hierarchies pressed in from behind in streams of force and forced the human being, who had been united with Lucifer, out into the areas toward the front of the head. This is all disclosed to clairvoyant perception. In the area, and there's a picture above on the right, openings were formed that in the process of shrinking have become our present sensory organs. The human being who had lived in this area was expelled through these openings as a result of being united with Lucifer, and having been expelled, now lives in the world outside this structure which has shrunk and become the physical body. 
To picture this clearly, imagine the present physical body becoming continually larger and all of its organs becoming larger, the organs of digestion, circulation and respiration, developing into those powerful living animal beings and the nervous system becoming plant-like beings. And within this powerful structure, picture the human being as sovereign. However, Lucifer now appears. And because the human being is attracted by Lucifer, beings of the higher hierarchies press in from behind and expel the human being outward. And because the human being is thus expelled, the whole structure gradually shrinks to the size of the human body today. And the human being, along with the entire waking consciousness, is now outside the body. We have actually been expelled through the openings that are now the sense organs. We are now the phenomenal world, and the world in which we lived in the distant past is now shriveled and constitutes our inner organs. Here I have given you an idea of how through clairvoyant observation human beings arrive at what is called, in quotes, paradise. In the ancient mystery schools, adepts directed human thoughts toward paradise. People ask where paradise was located. Paradise was in a world that obviously no longer exists today in the phenomenal world. Paradise is contracted and multiplied. Indeed, the inner organs of the physical body have been left behind as the last memory of paradise. But human beings have been expelled and now no longer live within their being. We can come to know this inner physical aspect of the human being only through clairvoyance. We have seen this. Today we are aware of the outer world, of what is before our eyes. We are familiar with the sounds that strike our ears. Previously we were aware of what was within, and this inner world was stupendous. It was paradise. Try to form an idea now of the way that human beings because their consciousness extends over the sense world, actually compressed the world where they lived before entering the phenomenal realm into the decadent results that are the inner organs of their body. The beings who first expelled human beings then worked upon them using Araman and other spirit beings whose activity they transformed for the good. They added the limbs, hands, feet and face to the etheric torso thus enabling human beings, by means of their limbs, along with what is directed inward through the sense organs, to make use of this contracted paradise. We have thus seen in spiritual vision the physical human body enlarged to gigantic proportions. This body in its present state represents the contracted remnant of the earlier paradise. When we see this, we get a slight idea of how clairvoyant vision really unfolds. We saw how, in esoteric development, human beings initially become increasingly sensitive to their physical and etheric bodies. We also saw, in anticipation, as it were, what sort of impressions we receive when we look back from outside the body at our physical body embedded in the etheric body. I said that the etheric body itself is in continual movement. When seen from outside, nothing is really static. Everything is always moving. There is always something happening. 
And as we learn through spiritual training to see what is happening there, the tableau of these occurrences becomes wider and everything becomes meaningful. Just as the physical body becomes the true garden of paradise, so to speak, so the occurrences in the etheric body become meaningful processes. We will now leave aside physical body and try to describe clearly the facts and processes we observe while studying the etheric body. I have described how the physical body could be seen clairvoyantly only if we suddenly awaken to clairvoyance in deepest sleep. The physical body would then expand to the configuration described. But the etheric body is, in a certain sense, easier to see. It can be seen. For example, if at the moment of falling asleep we try to seize that moment in a particular way after the astral body and the eye have relinquished the physical and etheric bodies, seizing it so that we do not immediately become unconscious but remain conscious a while, we then look down primarily at the etheric body. We see the etheric body moving in the form of vivid dreams. We see ourselves separated as though by a deep abyss from what occurs in the etheric body. But everything is seen happening in time rather than in space. While we are outside the etheric body, we must therefore perceive these experiences of movement in the etheric body as though we had consciously slipped back into it again. We must feel then as if separated from the etheric body by an abyss filled with ether, as it were, universal cosmic ether. It's as if we were standing on the farther shore of the etheric body and various events were taking place there. We feel like a wanderer returning to our etheric body because we are concerned with activities that all take place in time. Actually, we are moving farther and farther away from it, but in clairvoyant consciousness we come nearer to it. And as we approach it, we feel as if we were approaching something that rebuffs us. We come, as it were, to a spiritual rock. Later we feel as though allowed into something. At first we were outside, and then it seems as if we were admitted into something, as though now, out in, as though now inside, but not in the same way as we were within the etheric body in waking consciousness. Let me read that again, sorry. At first we were outside, and then it seems as if we were admitted into something, as though now inside, but not in the same way as we were within the etheric body in waking consciousness. This all depends on the fact that together with the astral body and I, we are outside, and that we are only looking down into the etheric body. That is, we are inside only in consciousness. Then we notice what is happening there. In a certain sense, everything is transformed in the etheric body, just as the physical body is transformed into paradise. But what happens in the etheric body is much more intimately connected with everyday processes in the human being. Consider for a moment what sleep really is, what it means to speak of, quote, being outside the etheric and physical bodies, close quote. We have assumed that the capacity for clairvoyance is awakened at this moment, because during sleep we suddenly become clairvoyant, or we remain consciously clairvoyant at the moment of falling asleep. Let's consider what sleep is. 
The consciousness that permeates the physical and etheric bodies is now outside, and only vegetative processes occur now within these bodies. All the forces that were used up during the day are being replenished. We perceive how the forces, especially those consumed in the brain, are renewed from the physical. Not that we see the brain as the anatomist would. We see rather how we forsake the human being who serves in the physical world as the instrument of consciousness while awake. Nevertheless, we clearly understand that this being is our instrument, albeit one that lies enchanted in a castle, as it were. Just as the brain resting within the skull may be seen as a symbol, so the human being on earth appears as living enchanted in a castle. The human entity appears as a being surrounded and imprisoned behind stone walls. The symbol of this, the shriveled symbol, as it were, is the skull. Outwardly it appears in the form of a miniature skull. When we look at the etheric forces that fashion the skull, earthly human beings actually appear to us as beings who find themselves within the skull, imprisoned in this castle. Forces, then, stream upward from the rest of the organism and sustain this being imprisoned in the skull, as though in a fortified castle. The forces are directed upward. First the force comes from the instrument of the human astral body, which extends through the organism. Everything that inspires and lends strength and energy to the human being streams through the nerve fibers. In the earthly human being this is all united and appears as a mighty sword we have forged for ourselves on earth. Then the blood's forces stream upward. Gradually we feel them and begin to recognize them, and they appear to us as what actually wounds the brain being lying in the enchanted castle of the skull. Like a bleeding lance, the forces stream upward in the etheric body toward the earthly human being lying in the enchanted castle of the brain. We realize that we can observe everything allowed to flow toward the noblest part of the brain. Before now, however, we never had the slightest notion of this. Thus you see that from a different perspective I come back to what I have already touched on in these lectures. No matter how much animal food a person may eat, it does not benefit a certain part of the brain, but is simply ballast. Other organs may be nourished by it, but the brain's etheric body immediately rejects all that comes from the animal kingdom. Indeed, from one part of the brain, one small ennobled part of the brain, the etheric body also rejects everything that comes from the plant kingdom, and it tolerates only the mineral extract. There, in this vital part of the brain, this mineral extract is united with the purest and noblest radiance entering through the sense organs. Here, the purest, noblest element in light, sound, and warmth encounters the most refined products of the mineral kingdom. The noblest part of the brain is nourished by this union between the most delicate sense impressions and the most refined mineral products. The etheric body rejects everything that comes from the plant and animal kingdoms and excludes it from this noblest part of the human brain. All the substances that the human brain absorbs as food 
press upward toward the brain. The brain also has less noble parts that are nourished by everything that is carried up to the brain and that also provides sustenance for the whole organism. It is only the noblest part of the brain that must be nourished by the most perfect union of sensory perceptions and the finest mineral extract. Thus we learn to recognize a wonderful cosmic relationship between a human being and the rest of the cosmos. Here is a region, as it were, where we see how human thought, through the nervous system as an instrument of the astral body, forges the sword that sets the foundation for human strength on earth. Here we learn all that is mingled with the blood and, to a certain extent, contributes to the death of all that is most noble in the brain. This noblest element in the brain is continually sustained through the union of the most delicate sense perceptions and the purest products of the mineral kingdom. Then during sleep, when the brain is not thinking, the products formed within the human being out of the plant and animal kingdoms flow toward the brain. When we penetrate into our own etheric body, therefore, it seems as though we have reached an abyss. Beyond the abyss, we can see what is happening in the etheric body, and this all appears in powerful images of the spiritual human being's processes during sleep. The eye and the astral body, the spiritual human being, descend into the castle, which is simply a symbolic image of what happens in the skull where, wounded by the forces in the blood, the human being sleeps, whose strength is in thinking. The human being must open to nourishment from everything that originates in the kingdoms of nature and in its noblest part must be served by what is most refined. We have described this before. All of this, brought together in pictures, gave us the grail legend. The legend of the Holy Grail tells us of that miraculous food prepared from the finest effects of the sense impressions and the finest effects of the mineral extracts, whose purpose is to nourish the noblest part of human beings throughout life on earth. All other nourishment would kill them. This celestial food is contained in the vessel of the Holy Grail. What occurs otherwise? What forces its way up from the other kingdoms? We find this shown subtly in the original Grail legend, in which a meal is described where venison is served first. The legend describes this intrusion into the brain where the Grail hovers eternally. This is the vessel destined for the noblest, noblest nourishment of the human being, who lies in the castle of the brain, killed by every other form of nourishment. The best account of this is not really Wolfram's, though his account is the best outward or exoteric presentation, since almost everyone can recognize when it is pointed out that the legend of the Grail is an occult experience everyone can experience afresh every evening. Footnote, Wolfram von Eschenbach Parsifal wrote Parsifal. End of footnote. The best account, despite a certain profanation, is that of Chrétien de Troyes, Footnote, Cretin de Troyes, Percival, The Story of the Grail, Boydell and Brewer, Rochester, New York, 1986. End of footnote. Although he gave many indications of what he wanted to communicate, 
he presented it exoterically, for he refers to his teacher and friend who lived in Alsace and who supplied him with the esoteric teaching to which he gave an exoteric form. This occurred at a time when this had become necessary because of the transition I spoke of in title The Spiritual Guidance of the Individual and Humanity. Footnote. Around 1250, people felt most cut off from the spiritual world. Quote, people had to draw the boundary between what they believed on the basis of traditions handed down to them and what they could perceive and understand on their own. The latter was limited to the physical sensory world. Later a new era dawned when it began to be possible again to gain direct insight into the spiritual world. However, this new clairvoyance is different from the old one that had more or less disappeared by the year 1250, close quote from Spiritual Guidance, pages 48 and 49. End of footnote. The Grail legend appeared in exoteric form shortly before this period of transition, in the year 1180. Today, ideas of this kind still appear as pure fantasy in the eyes of the world, because in many cases, reality is attributed only to what exists outside of human beings. But we recognize ourselves as the crown of creation in a much higher sense when we see our physical body in its original grandeur when we see our etheric body inwardly trying to reawaken to life in the physical body what has been maimed and killed by that sting that I said came from the blood. The etheric body works on the physical body to the extent possible to bring it back to life. It sustains the physical body throughout human life, although this physical body is already condemned to death at birth. The etheric body sustains it, as we have seen, by casting out of a small part of the human organism all that comes from the animal and plant kingdoms, retaining only the most refined mineral extract and uniting it with the purest impressions of the external sensible world. If we experience this reality deeply enough, we find this noblest part of the human organism revealed in each of us as a copy of the Holy Grail. Through these two indications I wanted to show you today how imaginations appear, how to authentic clairvoyance the vision of the physical body is gradually transformed into imaginations. And the imagination of paradise and the imagination of the Grail are among the most sublime that we human beings can experience, at least during the time we spend on earth. The end of Lecture 6